Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so we are live and we are on episode number 26. Welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. I'll be your host as usual. Um, and I'm delighted to say today we are joined all the way from the UK. So we're, we're live on Zoom recording this podcast today. Uh, Simon Gwilliam, is that correct? Have I got the pronunciation, Simon? That's better than most people, mate. That's not bad at all. Simon Gwilliam, I like it, yeah. Simon Gwilliam, okay. So Simon is a world-class coach and creator of the Unbreakable Mind Training Programme path to a free mind, open heart, and laser focus so you can be greater than your current reality and make the changes that you truly want in life. So he's a change maker, author, speaker, and I like this part, an all-around nice guy. So welcome to the podcast. How are we doing, buddy? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you for for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. Good, good, good. So Simon, what I try and do with most of my guests is just if we go back to the start of your journey or... I suppose growing up, did you have like a business mindset? I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to go out on my own. Or where did that journey begin for you? Um, no, I don't think I. My, I suppose my dad always worked for himself. He's a, he was a plumber, and I wouldn't say he was the most business savvy of men. You know, he was. You know, he wasn't growing a great big business. I don't think there was when I was younger. There was much of a um, urge to work for myself. If all, if all, in all honesty, I just wanted to play football. That's probably what I wanted to do as, as a young, as a youngster. Um, no, so for me, there was no real, like, oh, my family were really entrepreneurial. It was really encouraged. The benefit, my dad was like, get a trade, get a, get a, get a job, and you'll be kind of set. That was where, that was where I was at, really. To be honest with you, mate, nothing. And, and Simon, did you go into a trade, or what was it? Football, your focus, or what was that like? Yeah, no, um, I suppose. Up until about 16, I filtered around from sort of club to club, you know, different sort of football clubs here and there, sort of professional football clubs. 16, I left school, didn't do any A-levels, not one. Went straight into um, like a, an apprenticeship for a football club. Not a particularly incredible one, like, you know, Vauxhall Conference level at that time. Um, <laughs> in sports. I think, what was the course, man? It's some kind of sports. It wasn't even sports science. You know, it was some generic course chucked in after you finished training, really, a bit of college. Um, didn't pass that. Left before, I left before that, actually. Yeah, before I finished my apprenticeship, I left. I think about a year and a half in, I left. I, I kind of quit, really, which was, you know, I've not really thought about that since this, since this question. But yeah, I quit that, really. Um, and from there, mate, God, floating around supermarket for five, six years, like stacking shelves for a good five years. So I was about 25, 26. And that's when I, I suppose I got good at training people physically. I was so into physical training. I was such a small, weak kid. Everyone used to say to me about football clubs, he's great, but he's small. He's great, but he's, he's light, isn't he? You know, God, he's good. I played set midfield. Great touch, but... We're a bit worried. He's a bit small. He's a bit light. So I think that led me to go, right, I'm going to get as strong as I can. And for a few years, that's all I did. So then you get passionate about physical training. And that was the, you know, trying to get out of a supermarket. No offense to anyone at a supermarket. I had a great crack there. 
but I knew I didn't want to stay there. You know, I, you go in there every day, punch the clock. It's like, gosh, it's boring, but it allowed me to train. And I suppose that was my avenue out. That was it. It wasn't like a big dream of mine. Fitness was my avenue out of that. It was like, well, I'm, I've been around this for a long time. I enjoy the gym. People in the gym say, oh, can you train me? Because they see you in shape. <laughs> you know nothing about training people, but they're like, oh, he looks like he knows what he's doing. Can you train me? And that's where I went. That was my kind of path through, really. It was, I'd love to think, I talk to a lot of kids now. And they're like, oh, they think I must have had it set from 17, went to university, did, you know, did all this stuff. It's like, no, I bumbled around for the first 25, 26 years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> and Simon, when did you, did that just happen overnight when you start training people or like, did you jump out of the supermarket and go, I can make a go with this. I can make a living and make a few quid. Nah, nah, I think, and this falls into what I came into in the end. I was actually, taught, I went for a meal Saturday with someone and it was really embarrassing. I was at this meal, I hope to tell you this story. And um, this woman said, you know, we're real proud of you. Real took me back. I, I don't really know this woman ma massively. She's a friend of my wife's. And I was like, she goes, you know, when we met you, you know, you were part-time at a supermarket. You couldn't drive. This was like 23, 24, you know, and you know, you're a lovely lad, but she said, God, your life now is so different. She said, you're like a different person. It kind of choked me up a little bit. I wrote about it the other day. I was like, I didn't expect it. I was just eating my steak. I was like, yeah, yeah. And I, I was just sort of listening, but it never came easy for me. I wasn't one of those people who was like, right, I'm jumping out of the supermarket. I'm going to crack on. I always had an excuse why I couldn't leave the supermarket. There was always a reason. Oh, you know, I, I don't know enough. Or, oh, you know, this is safe. Or I need the money. Or, you know... And really, it was all fear. You know, if I could go back and talk to 25-year-old me, I'd be like, come on. You know, it'd be all right. It'll figure out. But no, it didn't come easy to me whatsoever. It, and I'm not just saying that. I was very much the person who probably would have stayed there till now if certain things hadn't have really happened and, and forced me out. I'd probably still be there. I'd like to think I wouldn't be there, but the way I was going with my mindset and my life, you know, I'd still be there now saying I'm going to leave. Like, yeah. Sometimes we're conditioned. I think Simon, um, you're at the bringing up a memory for me. I worked in um, a retail shop, a clothing shop called Gap. You obviously know Gap. And um, yeah. I never forget the day when like I had to hand in my notice. I was so scared. And fitness was the journey for me as well. But I was just like, Oh my God, that fear of this is a, a wage that comes in once a month. How am I going to live? How am I going to survive? But now looking back, you're like, everything is risk. Like every decision you make is a risk, whether you do or don't. But was it then you're at the talking with that client when you start training people, Simon, did it just click where people are like resonating with you? You're getting results and well, I can help people here. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, the, the first thing that happened was, right, the reason I left was I was looking around for some fitness courses. That was my thing, right? And um, they rung me up and caught me on the hop. Literally, someone on the phone, I've got to thank this person, literally forced me into doing a fitness qualification. You know, they sold me hard, you know, and I should thank that person now. At the time, I was like, but I had no money. And I remember my, my family are, are not particularly wealthy at all. And, and my mum was worked on a farm and, and whatever. And 
I had no money. And I was like, look, mate, I haven't got no money to pay for this course. You know, I can't, I can't pay for it. And I rung my mum and I said, mum, they want me to do this fitness course, like 500 quid or something. And she, I remember she said, yeah, no worries. I'll put it on my credit card. And she, she actually put it on a, I actually used her credit card. And once I paid and, and committed, that was it, you know, I was in, but I have to thank that person because they literally so hard sold me, which is probably frowned upon, but it probably was my moments that without that, I'd have spent years more there, you know, messing about. But yeah, when I got into training, it was my passion, you know, um, I love training people. I love people. I love being around people. I love the gym environment. And it felt like not work to me. It just didn't feel, I felt like I was cheating a living almost in the sense it felt like this isn't even work, is it? Like I'm just training people, you know, no one's telling me what to do. I'm in charge of what I'm doing with you. Everyone's so grateful that you're training them and they're getting results. It felt like I actually went into a gym to start with. I actually then got a job in a gym and I just felt like I wasn't working. And that sounds stupid. I remember saying to the bloke who ran it, I said, I feel like it may don't feel like work to me. And he's like, you shouldn't tell me that. I was like, I don't, you know, it felt so, I was used to snacking shelves all day and fetching and carrying. And all of a sudden I'm in a gym talking to people and engaging with people and helping people and talking about the things you're passionate about. And, for me, it, it did feel, it wasn't an easy journey, don't get me wrong. But you know, and you know, this is what I'm meant to be doing. It just felt like it never felt, I don't think I've really felt like a day's work to me. Yeah. You know, it felt incredible looking back. It was a pleasure. And Simon, just to get a little bit more specific for any listeners, was it, did you start PTing? Did you work for a commercial gym? Was it group? Was it boot camp? What was that yeah. like? Um, I was in a, just a commercial gym. It took me ages to get a job because they always wanted experience. And at that point, everyone was getting jobs in gyms. You know, it seemed that way. Every job had so many applications and it, they were looking for experience. And I never had any. Um, so for me, getting a job in a gym was hard to start with. I started a little independent one. They gave me a few hours. Then I got in with a council one. And I really had to work up, I suppose. I got a job casual, doing shifts. So I was working at the supermarket to start with casual in a gym you know i kind of left i didn't just leave the supermarket i cut hours down i was casual in a gym a part-time supermarket um and from yeah getting a lot of, a lot of experience on the gym floor i suppose and again that was something that really benefited me massively now but yeah so from there i yeah it was a casual gym casual job full-time job left the supermarket i remember leaving the supermarket for the last time walking out it was almost a bit sad to be honest you know i've been there five years you're like oh man it feels a bit sad to be leaving him and a bit scared like you don't want to ever want to go back you want it to work out um full-time in a gym for a few years and then i had the same scenario again which is like right i want to do my own own thing and then it's that next stage of leaving that you know like god i want to start a boot camp and so I started a boot camp on the side of the gym, which they didn't mind, you know, on my own. That built up locally. And then I dropped my hours at the gym. And then I remember going to hand my notice in at the gym. And that's Paul Mort's fault, actually. I mean, you know, Paul. He, um, I signed up to do some like a, a mentoring with him. And he said, I'll mentor you, but you've got to leave your job at the gym. I said, you want me to leave my job? He was like, yeah, I'll only mentor you if you leave your job at the gym. 
and go on your own full time. And I was like, oh, God. I just bought this house, mate. And I know no one can see it, but it was run down to hell. I don't know if I've ever said, told you this, but we'd knocked it down, gutted it, had no windows. I'm not even exaggerating. No doors, no back of the house. And I had £4,000 left in my bank. I remember this. And I kept looking around thinking how, you know, how he was just doing it month on month. And it was like living. People used to come and think, you don't live here, surely. I'd be like, yeah, you know, we're living it. Oh my God, no stairs, nothing. And I went to Newcastle and I rung my wife up and I was like, I'm going to do this apprentice, this mentoring. And I said, but it's £3,000. And she was stuck here with no heating. I remember the heating broke down and it snowed. I always remember that. And she was like, well, that's like all the savings we got left. I was like, yeah, I know, but I think I need to do it. So then when I come home and said, I've also got to leave my job, <laughs> it's like, what's the income? And I was like, well, so Paul, I can thank Paul for that. Cause I suppose I've always had somebody who pushed me a little bit in reflection. Somebody made the decision for me, made me make that decision on my gym. And he made me make that decision. I had to make it work at that point. Like, I suppose I gave, gave you the kick in the arse you needed, was it? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I suppose part of me thought, well, he knows what he's doing. So there was that, wasn't there? You know, uh, he's going to help me build this. Secondly, I think sometimes these people, they just tell you what you know you need to do already. Like, I knew I needed to leave the gym. I knew I was going to get nowhere unless I invested some money into somebody who knew what they were doing. And he, he was the catalyst for me going for doing that. I mean, my wife wasn't exactly buzzing because with the idea of us having no money and me leaving my job. Um, yeah, but that paid, that, that paid itself back in spades, so. And Simon, did it snowball from there or was it hustle or hard work to put doors in the house and windows in the house or how did that look like when you jumped out on your own? Um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. I'm not going to lie. I didn't know what I know, know now, you know, and, and for me at that point, it was all hustle, hustle, hustle. And it, I suppose it, when you're in a position of, oh my God, I've got to make this work, it does cause you to really probably put the lights of fire in you, doesn't it? You know, and it's like, God, I've got to make this work. I remember we set out some 90 day goals and, um, you know, financial goals. And I never thought I'd hit them, but I did. It was a lot of money at the time. But I had this, I suppose I had to make it work. You know, when you're looking around thinking, I need some windows, how much are windows? They're 500 quid each. Okay, I need through five windows. That's two and a half grand. Like there was always something that needed paying for. And at that, at that point, that was what was motivating me. Everything I did, you know, I'd like to say it was all, oh, it was to make the impact. And, and it was, of course. But it, also I had to make money. Like I had to. Otherwise the, you'd look around and everywhere you looked, you'd go, we need some doors. You get a quote, oh, thousand pound. Oh God, I need to earn some money. You know, you always had this reminder every morning you opened your eyes that you had some, you had to get to work. And so it, it was a lot of hustle and grind. And, but at the same time, I, you know, I, I had a lot of strategy off, off Paul. I can't, I can't deny that. You know, I had someone in my corner and, and that makes a big difference. I wasn't on my own. And Simon, just you've mentioned money there. Um, what's your relationship with money then and now? Uh, yeah, man, that's a cracking question. 
a couple of twofold really back then i i probably had a terrible relationship with money itself you know um i probably grew up in a family where money was the problem do, do you know like if there was arguments it's because we had no money you know money was a limiting factor we couldn't do things because we had no money you know we didn't have enough money um so i i think i i grew up thinking money probably was two things number one people that had money weren't, weren't good people you know they were lucky they were probably given it you know we didn't have money because we weren't lucky and you know we didn't you know we didn't we just weren't money people so i grew up definitely with that belief pattern 100 um and for me money became twofold if i'm really brutally honest it became something that if I had more of, I was going to be a better person at one point. It shifted from people with money were terrible to actually the more money I get, you know, I'm a better human. I'm going to, that makes me better. And I think I, for a few years when I started doing quite well for myself before I was 30 and I had, you know, bringing good money in, I think it probably made me a worse person. In hindsight, looking back, I think it, I used it as a way to position myself amongst my peer group and that's just being honest <laughs> you know it's just you know i think that was the terrible relationship i had i think i know now that money is not really a big driver for me whatsoever it's important don't get me wrong anyone who says it's not important in business it is important because you write it you can't do anything like you can't say it's not important because if i don't have money i can't invest in my business i can't live the life i want i can't make choices that better our programs like you know because it's our money so it's important isn't it but at the same time if it becomes the driving factor you're going to make bad decisions a lot of the time i think and i now i don't have a need relationship with money i know that i enjoy the money i have i know that first at this point it's more about how many more people we can help but at the same time business runs on financial your numbers doesn't it yeah absolutely i just uh, i i it's something i wanted to delve into just because you touched on the topic but it's um similar enough story i think when growing up i think you kind of have a a mixed relationship with money um you see the wages come in you want to keep it there but then when you earn a bit of money you want to spend it as quick as anything and it's two men two people just came to me there was paul mort at a line he said to me before, this is years ago, and um, he said, uh, money doesn't buy happiness, but being broke doesn't buy shit. <laughs> that actually stood with me. And then I went to see Jordan Belford, the Wolf of Wall Street. He came here to Dublin many years ago. And he said, this, he said similar. He said, listen, money doesn't bring happiness, but he says, you need three things in life to survive. He said, you need accommodation, like a roof over your head. You need money for that. He goes, you need food on the table. You need money for that. And then he goes, you need healthcare. If you get sick or someone in your family gets sick, you need money for that. And I was like, it's kind of like a light bulb. Is like, why do we have this relationship where we think with people that maybe have an amount of money shouldn't necessarily be happy? So yeah, it's it's um it's a push and pull relationship, I think, with money. Um, and yeah. it's always, it's always a fine balance. And then so Simon, just to, to move on. You got the house up and going, you're getting your monetary goals, you're coaching your clients, you're doing your boot camp. What was next on your journey? Um, I got myself into a bit of a pickle. 
Um, I think about 27, 28. I think that's when I got myself into a bit of a pickle, really, uh, mentally. It, just from a personal point of view, I never worked on myself. I was relying on sort of very external-based things in my life. Um, so I suppose one instant I, I got myself into a little bit of a bother, um, which I'm certainly not proud of now, but <laughs> you know, to, to t- you know, cut a long story short, ends up in a bit of an altercation and, you know, that would have, could have went lots of ways. I could have went probably down really. And, and I suppose you have to take a long, good, long, hard look at yourself and just realize I probably wasn't really being the person I wanted to be. As I know that's a cliched story, but you go, yeah, I'm not happy in myself. I was struggling a lot mentally, real, real anxious all the time. It had been a common factor throughout my whole life, anxiety and worry, which is why I never left anything, never learned to drive, never went on a plane, never went anywhere. I, I lived in this anxious bubble, which a lot of insecurity about myself, which is why I got into strength training. I'd never really addressed that stuff. And so I'd had a bit of this, this incident happen and I knew I needed to do something like with myself. That's nice. You know, like I said, it's a common story, but it's true. It was that catalyst. It was like, I'd got myself in a lot of trouble and you know, that's when um, I was obviously with Paul at the time doing some different things. And Paul had gone on his own little journey. I think if you know, Paul through warrior and different things and he offered out another thing and, that was more about yourself and I, that's when I was like right I do something myself you know it was less about business more about you as an individual and that's catapulted me you know that, that 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 did I took that that was the most transformative period of my life I took all this different stuff about your body your mind your relationships yourself as a person and it was a kickstart for me. It catapulted me into working with other coaches, different mentors. And I just went on this real self-development, like binge, I suppose. And as I was getting, figuring this out myself, I suppose in my business, you start realizing, why don't people do what they know they need to do? <laughs> like, why don't any of us? Like, you know, you can give someone the greatest coaching nutrition wise and the greatest training program but you've got no control over those hours they're not with you at this point when i was in fitness and it was like you know it was the stress you end up you know it's like you end up talking to people they they had a glass of wine because they were stressed they felt like when their partner the kids are playing out they're worried about money they're a bit overwhelmed themselves they wake up in a hurry and you're like we need to actually do something you know we need to help you there because if we help you there we'll get better results and I started drip feeding that into my, my boot camps, different little weekends, little come away and you know, learn a little system to help you, you know, with your mind as much as anything, your emotions. And that went, wow, people, people loved it. People started getting better results. And that built into our weekends become quite popular. You know, it wasn't just members anymore. It was people coming to it. And from there, it was like, wow. It, again, it was that transition of this is actually probably where I'm passionate this is transforming my world. And that's where the unbreakable system came about. We created something called Unbreakable Mind. And for the last seven years, really, I suppose, 28, yeah, 29, that's just been developing and developing and developing, 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 until now we're fully online. Um, We have weekends still, we have events, but we've got members from Europe, America, massive island base of members, UK, um, yeah, and, and we're delivering that stuff solely online. 
every month, week in, week out, to groups of people who are like, yeah, I want to get, I want to make a change. And I've probably tried all this stuff, but actually maybe I need to work on my own mind, my own emotions. Maybe that's where the, the key is. And yeah, yeah that's gone, gone from there. Yeah. And Simon, just to, before we get on to Unbreakable, I'd love to just, if you don't mind talking about it, I think it'd be good value maybe for some of the listeners and uh, even myself. When you, when you, what does anxiety mean to you? When you say, what does it mean? Do you mean like, wh- what is it? How does it happen? Or For you, what's your interpretation of anxiety, I suppose? And then what tools, I'd love to know what tools helped you. Yeah, so I think for me, and we deal massively. So just to give a bit of background, we deal massively with anxiety and we don't just, we track that. So we use a lot of stuff in our, in our system now where people can track how they feel. We even use things along the lines of, you know, now where we can measure people's brain waves. We can do all sorts of cool stuff. So we're not just like, oh, you were anxious, now you feel calm. There is an element of that, but also we have data. And that's what we, you know, we really got into data the last couple of years. And so our success rate with drastically reducing anxiety is over 90% this year so far from people. And that can go from people to the extreme end of sort of stress-based things like panic attacks. I'm having four a day, you know, and you know, it, we've, you know, they're, they're under the supervision of doctors or whatever. And a lot of the, you know, doctors will support and back our system every time. Um, and you know, from no panic attacks <laughs> at all in 30 days, 60 days, it's not magic. You've got to do the work. But I suppose for, for me, the anxiety thing, it shows up a lot of different ways for a lot of people. But if you think of it as really elevated stress patterns where you're in the future a lot, anxiety is a future-based thing. I know that's commonly said, but it is. It's that future, I'm getting so worked up about something that the unknown, that it's affecting the way I feel right now. So a lot of people get speeding up heart rate, for example. It affects your physiology, doesn't it? You can feel it. People get lightheaded. But for me, when my journey, you know, I grew up with an extremely anxious mum. You know, my mum was actually, you know, sectioned for part of, part of her life. And a lot of things happened. Great woman, but very anxious. And so that was, and I will say this, undoubtedly fed into me, you know, and I don't blame anyone for that. Not, not at all. But it was. So I, I was always afraid of new things, afraid of different things, afraid of failure, afraid of rejection, afraid, afraid, afraid. And that was always that low level anxiety in my life. That's why I never left the gym as early as I could. Never left the supermarket, never learned to drive. You know, all the, it really governed my life on a low level. So many of the people that come to us would be along those, those patterns in their life. Um, But to break it, you know, to break it down a little bit, I've, we would call those survival patterns in our program. It's a survival state. Um, which means, you know, to, to, to use a bit of a weird example, if you want me to carry on with it. Um, if you're an animal's out in the wild and it sees, you know, a gazelle sees a flipping lion, it's going to go into survival, right? It's going to, it's going to mobilize loads of energy, adrenaline, cortisol. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to get away. Second thing is it's going to hone in on its environment. There's a problem. It's going to scan for how they can get away from it. And the third thing is they probably, you know, people become very aware of time. So most people are living in survival patterns, they would say 70% of their life, the average human being now, which is mad, right? 70% of your life living in that pattern of constantly looking outside of you for problems, 
constantly survival, trying to stay safe. So people fight, flight, or freeze generally. Some people get very angry and uh, outbursty. Some people, because it's a protection thing, some people just do nothing, just freeze. And I was a freezer and a flighter, really. I just, didn't, just wouldn't make a decision and would run away from anything that was relatively new and unknown. But if you want to create change in your life, you can't live in survival. You can't create change in survival because survival is about protecting where you are. Change is about creating something new. So the first part of all our programs is how can we get people out of those survival patterns and into a pattern of creation, into a pattern of, um, you know, pattern of calm. And that's done through a couple of things, taking control of your energy, but also for us, it's creating coherence. Coherence is the opposite to survival. Coherence is the opposite to incoherence. And so creating coherence through your breathing, through your energy management, which is not necessarily through exercise, although that's great, it's through actually creating a coherent state through what we would call through your heart. And the Heart Math Institute is probably the leading people on that. Um, they are literally leaps and bounds ahead of anyone else. I think just for my industry, most people teach people to, if you don't feel great, you got to you got to get away from that. So train or question your thinking or da da da, and it's like ugh, they're plasters. Most of your thinking is going to come from the way you feel. I know it's it's in a loop. The way you think affects how you feel. But for a lot of people, they're in this constant feeling of survival, and your thoughts are always generated from that. And you you can logically, I could sit and logically go, oh, you know, there's nothing to worry about. I could leave my job and it'd be okay. Da da da. I can get that. Anyone gets that. But when I start emotionally, emotionally, I feel like in survival. I just can't, I can't do it. It's like, no, because what you think never beats what you feel. What you think is true never beats what you feel is true, does it? You know, you can think something's true, but if you feel the complete opposite, that's going to win. And so that's why we always teach people coherence techniques and get into their heart, create a coherent heartbeat, heart rhythm. That for me is number one. And I get quite passionate about that because I see a lot of the industry is shape, state shifting or thought questioning. And that keeps people stuck in this exhaustive loop where every day you, you've got to get away from this feeling. It's like, ah. if you learn to create coherence in your life each day, that's why we're so successful with it. You can reach to better thoughts and then you can start to let go emotionally and understand emotionally what you can what you can understand logically and they're two very different things do you know what i mean and simon is this i'm sure every case is different or every client is different you're working with but it must be amazing to see would you call a turnaround or a different direction or a new energy with a client yeah I think that, that's where I'm most passionate, to be quite frank. You could probably tell that from just that bit there. But I think for me, we get we attract a lot of people who, like I said, uh, have reached a point where there's no return, a bit lost, a bit a bit stuck. And I, I suppose from talking about my story with you, that's probably where I felt I was for the first 26, 27 years. And I think taking that person and, and getting them up to ground level and then get them into our academies where they don't just go, oh, I feel a bit better, that's fine. They then use that to go and create the things they want. You know, that for me, that whole journey. Yeah, I work with people who are high performing like, like yourself and all these, and that's great, I love that. 
but watching the person go from struggling to high performing, you know, to, to the whole journey, like I suppose I've made what I consider I've made that that's where it's the most incredible thing. You know, and you can watch someone go, God, six months, you, you, you were so worried and anxious and stuck in life and not doing what you wanted and unhappy. And, and now you're posting consistently your, what you're doing and you're on and creating these great things. It's like, the transition in a person, anyone can create short-term change. You, I mean, you know that. But transformation is very different, I think. Yeah. You know, how we can move forward, so yeah. And Simon, obviously, I, there's a couple of bits I, I want to touch on with yourself, a couple of questions I'd like to ask you. Just if we go back to the business side of things. Hang on, mate. My dog, sorry, mate. I know you're on a podcast. My dog has decided to, to bark, so I'm going to mute. Um. Are you there? Yeah, we're all good. Um, so dogs barking away there. Question for you, Simon. I, I suppose, what do you like about business and then what do you not like about business? I, I think enough times people always hear the positives, but I don't think there, there are negatives to business and I don't think enough people talk about it. And I just, I'd love to get your perspective on that. What do I like about business? Yeah, you love results. Um, you love seeing people progress. You love doing, I love doing the thing I love doing you know i love doing it so for me it's like god I, the negatives really is i could work all day like that can be a negative some i could work all day and i don't mean that like, I'm like oh, i need to much like you where you go no i could i could read and learn and practice all day and sometimes it's that healthy level of care that, that i've had to try and manage in my life i've just recently had a, a little boy and you you start to realize right you know can i do i want to continue to work like sometimes i could you know like all day and i think for me finding that balance when you're so passionate about something is hard for a lot of us i find it hard it's that level of care which you're like yeah i really care but sometimes it dips into what i would call that overcare, where you're like right i care too much now because it's starting to govern my day and my thinking. Now, a lot of people teach that as a wonderful thing, don't they? Oh, that's amazing. But, you know, when all's said and done, really my business can't be more important than my health, my, my family, really, in my life, you know. And sometimes it, it can inadvertently become that. So the thing I don't like sometimes <laughs> about business is, is how the obsession you can get around it. Um, I mean, the second thing is you come in for a lot of stick when you stand for something you get a lot of sticks so i suppose sometimes in my industry especially i'll get a lot of stick about some of the things you say or you'll get a lot of people who who think that you should just help them for free that's a hard thing because part of you probably thinks sometimes you find yourself questioning yourself well maybe we should help these people more and then you're like well it's you know, free never helped me, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and, and on, and on top of that, you know, how invested are you in, you know, we do a huge amount of free things, by the way, free seven day challenges, et cetera, et cetera, you know, to, to get people started. But, um, yeah, if I could look at some of the annoys me, sometimes it is, it is people when they, they kind of be quite entitled to like, you should help me because I'm not in a good place. It's like, or, you know, you should care. That's when we get all the time. Well, you should care. You should, I thought you cared. It's like, yeah, but I don't care more than you. I shouldn't care more than you about your life. 
like maybe you should care. <laughs> Sometimes I fire that back. I thought you cared about your results. You can't even buy a four ninety nine book. I know you've got four ninety nine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Some people, I think Simon, sometimes they like standing on the sideline and shouting out. But then when they get called out sometimes or you ask them to get involved, I think it's a different story. Yeah. yeah. It's so easy now, and especially with social media and the internet and stuff like that. It's so easy for someone just to put a snide comment or smart comment. Yeah. And just on that, Simon, uh, like social media, what's it mean to you? And like, I know it's a big part of your business, but like, how would be your relationship with social media now? I'm not a big, if I didn't have a business, I wouldn't use social media. Okay. And, that, and that's not because I think it's bad. That's not because I think it's a terrible thing. I, I, I'm just not a big social media personal user if i'm out for a meal i'm not going to take a picture of it and that's not because i think people who do a terrible you know, it's just because i'm not going to i don't think about it um so i wouldn't be the stuff i put out is work related it's lifestyle stuff as well but my personal page never gets used my business page where i'm trying to put out so for me it's a place to you know impact with some meaningful stuff not all so serious but certainly impact with something meaningful that's how i look at social media for me and the reason i come to this conclusion was i used to sit and moan about all the nonsense you see on social media all the stuff i think that doesn't help look at this then i realized well i'm not exactly putting anything out am i you know and so for me my social media platform is a place to put useful actionable things out for the people who need it and um we're on there daily doing that but i and I do like to engage with our followers, of course, but um, for, for me personally, I'm not a, a massive user, but I don't think it's bad. You know, I'm like, oh, you've got to stop using it. It's like, well, it's actually got some really great things, isn't it? You know, think of, I wouldn't, ex my business wouldn't exist without it. Yeah. So how can I then say it's a terrible thing? Yeah. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, when people are saying, oh, you should get off social media for 180 days, it's terrible for you. It's like, well, maybe you should just learn to manage it better yeah, rather than run away from it. Exactly. Um, Simon, there's a couple of questions that I kind of fire at some of our guests. Um, and I suppose, like, is there any lessons or is there a big lesson you've learned in business or life so far that you could share? I had a, I had a little think about that the other day, and I think, the biggest lesson I've learned in life through my own principles would be, you know, and it sounds so simple, but ultimately I say this everywhere. Change requires you to be greater than your current reality. That is fact. I know that sounds so simple, but nothing changes if nothing changes. And it took me a long time to learn that because I was always waiting for the change to happen. I was always going to be this time where it was easier for me to leave the supermarket. There's always going to be this time where I had more money and I could, you know, afford a coach and then I could get the house done. There was always this time that was coming, but it wasn't coming because I was getting more of the same every week. And I think it's important for anyone to, and we, we drum this into our members that change requires you to be greater. What does be mean? You know, change ultimately requires you to think and feel greater. And it's not just think and feel greater. You have to act greater. There's some people who think, if I can just think nice thoughts, nice things will happen. Well, that's not going to happen. You have to get out. 
but try taking better, greater actions from the same thinking and the same feelings every day. Our actions ultimately are a reflection of how we think and feel. So, so unless you upgrade those, you can't upgrade anything. And I think I waited 28 years thinking, well, something's going to change or somebody's going to change it for me or there'll be a better time and, oh, you know, time changes things. No, it doesn't. Time just passes and I'm traveling through it. And, you know, time doesn't really do anything other than gather momentum in what's currently going on for me. <laughs> so, so I think I, if I, the, one, the one thing I learned was that that I spent 28 years thinking there's going to be this time coming when really I had to be the change. I had, you know, that famous saying, but, but to be the change, you have to be a bit greater. You have to think and feel greater. If you're not working on those two things, I don't think change is possible from my experience, ultimately. And Simon, ju- just on that change and actions and stuff like that, would you be big into priming or like just changing your state or getting your body in a, a certain thought process or doing an action to maybe get you towards something yeah what like do you mind giving me an example so then i can when no, you say- like an example like um i got prime priming from tony robbins and i know it's a, it's a big name to throw out there he yeah. told a story once about a two groups of people that were given a survey and they were given an article to read two groups a and b 100 people were given this they're given 20 dollars to read this paragraph okay as a survey. The first 100 people were given a warm cup of coffee and the second 100 people were given a cold cup of coffee. The passage was the exact same paragraph they both read. Group A who got the warm cup of coffee said the paragraph or the character was very warm, warm, loving guy, happy and amazing and team. 100% of them said that. 98% of the people who were in B who got a cold cup of coffee while they were reading the passage said the character was cold, was insensitive, bad, and negative. So I do believe, I'm a very much believer, is when you're taking actions or something positive happens, you're out there, you can change your state. You have the, you have the options to do that. So that's probably where my question is coming from, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, yeah. So ch- changing your physiological, your state. Yes. Yeah, massively, imp- 100% that is important. I suppose I, the, the problem then becomes when you only rely on that. It's two-sided coin, I think. And this is kind of what we try to plug into a lot of our stuff. If I have to do that every day, it becomes very tiring and exhausting. So imagine, okay, I've got to get up and drink that warm cup of coffee every day so, so it looks a certain way. So I think that is 100%. You know, can you argue with Tony Robbins? You know, you could. <laughs> but, but, you know, he has a lot of evidence there to support his stuff, doesn't he? And I know that if I, you know, for example, move first thing in the morning and, and do that, so I'm going to feel more, should we say, uplifted, you know, and have a better outlook. But also on the back end of the other side of the coin is, you know, where does the majority of our thinking come from? Our emotions. Well, 95% of it's the same every day. 95% of it is a recurring habit. 95% of it is in your subconscious mind every day from your past. And so I, you have to put in some form of training in art for me in that as well. Otherwise you end up getting up every day and go, God, I feel anxious. I'll just train. God, I feel like I'll just train. I, I'll just train every day. Boom, 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 boom. So yeah, you, there's some people who would say, oh, it's all training your subconscious. Well, actually don't forget priming is important. 
But don't forget the other side of the coin. Some people become addicted to primary and say, like, well, actually, if 95% of my thoughts are coming from my subconscious mind and they're the same every day under the surface and people, there's a lot of people, well-studied people who would say, your life's a printout of that, you know, because it's the most powerful thing. Then we need to be changing that. An exercise ain't changing that, you know. You've got to change that somehow. So that so it's you're bang on, I think, and it's it's getting both sides of the coin for a human being. Then you don't have to train, but you're going to get all the benefits to training. Do you know what I mean? You don't have to prime, but God, when you prime, you're priming from a solid base. So I think both are massively equally important. Yeah, and Simon, just one of the other questions I have is. Um, when you, and advice, if you think over the years the coaches or mentors you have, or maybe it's a person in your life or inner circle or family, what would be like one of the best pieces of advice you've ever gotten? Uh, this this could be <laughs> could be an interesting question. Um, if follow there's the one bit of advice I got, and it probably is not as philosophical as spiritual as some people might think from when they follow me. But I think my dad gave me a bit of advice once. My dad's very working class man. And I think this a bit of advice served me well. And it is that it can't always be everyone else. That was the one bit of advice he gave me. I know it sounds a bit like it can't always be everything else. And that for me, I, need, I, I talk about that a lot in our groups. Like, it can't always be everything and everyone else. Kind of, and that's not the blame thing. Oh, it's my fault. Oh, it's like actually that's a responsibility thing. It's like, well, shit, maybe, maybe if it's always happening this way, maybe I need to do something about it. So I, that was certainly one of the best bits of advice I got. And if I could share two, I went out to Warrior, to Wake Up Warrior in America. I know Garrett J. White was very big in two ways of life. Do have be. You can do, if I do this, I'll have the money, then I'll be happy, you know? And he was like, look, it's be, do have work on being happy, you'll do the things, and then you'll have the stuff. And I think they are probably two very similar bits of advice. <laughs> you know, from one being a, my dad, a working class plumber who's, you know, loves the pub and, you know, and Garrett J. White, who's, well, I don't know what Garrett J. White's doing these days, but he looks passionate about it, whatever it is. Yes. So, um, yeah, I think that was one of the, there are two things that have ultimately shaped my life and got me out of this place of just drifting along waiting to actually, no, I've got to start doing and not just doing take bigger actions, but actually doing in the sense of let's work on me a little bit. Yeah. That's great. It's, it's a great wealth of knowledge there. Um, really, really like that line. I'm taking them out of here from your father. Um, Simon, is there any, I asked our guests, um, is there any books or podcasts or, and that have stood to you over the years, or maybe there's something you go back to. You love reading it, and maybe it's fiction, or maybe it's self-help. But is there anything you could recommend to any listeners? Yeah, um, there is one book. It's not very well known, but I think it's uh, a simple book that anyone can get, and it's "Change Your Energy, Change Your Life" by a bloke called Mike Kempsky. It's not very well known at all, but I know if you know, I read a little thing. I read heard Ronnie O'Sullivan talking. <laughs> about whenever he's struggling he goes reads is it joe davis's q action book or something he just reads certain paragraphs and he's like oh yeah 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 um i think that book for me it's like if you want to understand some simple things about the mind like simple things that you can pick up and it's easy reading there's some books you could 
study, but an easy reading book. Not many people probably ever mention it, but yeah, Change Your Energy, Change Your Life is a great book. And so is The Honeymoon, what's it called? I think The Honeymoon Effect by Bruce Lipton. Great book. And give us a synopsis of that. Bruce, he's there talking about, again, that's talking about your subconscious mind and talking about the honeymoon effect when you first get into a relationship and how you're like, you are, you're on your best behavior. You're very conscious. It's like you are being the best you. But then as that gets comfortable, your habits come out and you start talking the way you normally talk. You start acting the way you normally do. In the first part of a relationship, you know, somebody says something, you probably hold your tongue, don't you? You know? But six months down the line, you're not holding your tongue anymore. You're just reacting how you always react. And he's using it as an example of conscious and unconscious, you know, subconscious thinking. And you'll learn a lot in there about, it's not about relationships at all. It's about life. And he talks about his own journey. And I read that, I have read that so many times, you know. Um, I've read other books, Dark Sides of the Light Chasers, but that's very, oh, you're going to need to read that a fair few times. Yeah, to understand it, yeah. Brilliant. Listen, Simon, I, I'm conscious of keeping you on time there. Um, just, just, I suppose, where can people find you and stay connected with you? So, a couple of things. On Facebook, Simon Gwillem. It's just literally Simon Gwillem. You'll see a picture of me and my dog <laughs> drinking a cup of tea. On Google, um, our website's Unbreakable Live. Not life, but live, as in it's live. UnbreakableLive.co.uk that's got loads of sort of free stuff on there, free tools, free little meditations, loads of different things on there. So, yeah. Um, Simon, I just want to say thanks so much. I'm delighted to have the conversation with you today and hear about your business, hear about your journey and just hear about just some of your stories. It's, I got a lot of value from it. I know our listeners will too. Oh man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs>